Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Ryan. This is Buddy Franklin. This is the greatest showman. Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Randall Gazzarioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. Timberwolf. From inside the centre square. Whatever time of day it is, wherever you are, I am Benjamin Castle. I am Ethan Castle. Welcome to episode 100 of Americans Watching the Footy. And now that we've reached 100 episodes, Ethan, do you know what that means? We get chaired off after? I mean, hopefully, but also, Spotify for Podcasters can now bid on our children in the podcast draft. No, our children are already being bid on at the Illegal Ring headquartered out of TCBY. You know, people think it stands for the country's best yogurt. No, it stands for take children. Boys, yes. That sounds like a convincing Alex Jones bit, even though I know it's Family Guy. The best thing about Alex Jones, you could just like chop up and reorder and like put together clips of his from different episodes. And they'd make just about as much sense as they already do. Like they'd make just about as much sense as the originals do. It's really funny. I will eat your ass. I think I've heard more memes with that clip of his than any other. I mean, he's got a lot of good ones. You talk about off the rails. I mean, he's probably so off the rails, he's back on them. I don't know. He's he's a special one, but makes for, makes for great content. If it's what you call content, yeah. Hell yeah, man. It's fucking content. Pretty amazing to think that in under 15 months, we're already at 100 episodes. I know I've already said this before, and I'm going to say it again. Nobody believed in us. They thought we'd be done after eight episodes. Thanks, Travis Kelsey. Didn't expect to see you here. This is our round 11 preview. But before we get into the nine matchups this round, the last one before the buys kick in and the second weekend of Sir Doug Nichols rounds, we need to take some more time and digest what we learned at the end of episode 99. Ethan, you sprung that upon me, and I don't think you knew long before I did. Yeah, I learned like maybe five minutes before at most that Damian Hardwick was resigning kind of out of nowhere. I don't think anyone saw a lot of warning signs. And again, it's just mid-season coaching changes like this are so weird. You you expect these things to happen in the off-season in a smooth transition, and then it just kind of happens. It, it just happens. And clearly he's not a guy that's looking for much fanfare considering there's no farewell game or anything. I love the front bar fake headline where it said he declined a farewell game after the AFL said they get it at Marvel. I love that, and I am all in favor of giving Richmond as much shit as possible for that. Like, it needs to get to the point where they hear it so often that even they laugh about it. Also, they had that last close win of theirs there, which you mentioned last episode as well, and we've mentioned multiple times, was that win against the Giants in 2021. It would be so goddamn funny if now they win a close game. I almost want to expect it. So after his press conference Tuesday morning, Dima just 
walked out of Punt Road while the team was training under caretaker coach Andrew McWalter, who played with St. Kilda and a little bit with Gold Coast. He's been on Richmond's staff since 2014. And maybe the stability there and him having been on Hardwick's staff for so long is part of why he was chosen over the likes of former AFL head coaches David Teague and Ben Rutten. The other thing that's interesting is you look at the... I forget who it was that tweeted this, but like the list of somewhat recent premiership coaches and how few of them are retreads, like the only one in the last, I forget how long the time span was, that had had a head coaching job before where they won the premiership was Mick Malthouse. That was 2010. And I mean, Malthouse has definitely been around the block. He's coached the most games out of anyone. Yeah. And he had... Mind you, he had won a couple of premierships as a coach at his prior destination before that even. Although that wasn't his first destination. His first was uh, Dogs. Yeah, Footscray, and he never really won much there. But I mean, Dogs were in a world of hurt then, but that's history. And I guess we're really looking to the present now with what the Tigers are going to be looking like for the rest of the year. In a conversation that I had on the recent live episode of Yank on the Footy with Craig Wessels and our friend Rick Shibani. We discussed how Richmond are in this very transitory period. The major pieces of that premiership core are largely aging out. And despite them bringing in Tim Tarano and Jacob Hopper, they still found themselves in a situation where they're very far off the pace where they expected to be. And there's an influx of younger players, sure, but not many of them look ready to take up the mantle yet. Oh, yeah. Speaking of that Tarano and Hopper trade, Giants have their first round pick. Not something that's ideal when you got a new head coach coming in. That said, Taranto's only 25, Hopper's only 26. They've got years ahead with these guys where you can look at the first day of training and someone asks, hey, where's your first round pick? And you just point to Taranto and Hopper and it's like, okay. Frio are saying the same with Luke Jackson. Poor with Horn Francis. Those look like they'll work out better in the immediate. We'll see what it's going to be like longer term. Also, like within an hour of us recording this like as we were prepping our notes and stuff hawthorne ceo justin reeves also known as ned reeves dad just resigned citing the toll of the investigation there so that makes two people pretty high up at afl clubs stepping away at least for a time and in this case permanently because of that investigation because he also had alistair clarson step away from coaching at north for now the hawthorne investigation was mentioned in that statement so these resignations, I have to think, are going to press the league to take some more immediate action, or maybe we don't know things that are happening behind the scenes already, and there's something that's going to be released soon. I don't know where to take this. I don't know if the league knows where to take it. Ash Klein is the interim CEO. He's been the chief commercial officer for Hawthorne. And also, looking further down the line, saw a day or two ago that Trevor Nisbet, longtime Eagles CEO, will resign after next season. There could finally be some change in the air after a quarter century. It, It's something. It's something indeed. I love that meme, by the way, the it's something meme. I don't know if it's like a super well-documented meme, but it's like a dude sort of doing a jumping jack thingy, and then he's got like a very blank expression on his face and says, it's something. I, I like it. Is it a jumping jack? Is it like... It's very useful. That's. It looks like a ballet pirouette almost. I don't really know. I don't know, but I like it. Uh, I guess we're ready to talk about the actual games now. Mm-hmm. We start it with the Marnbrook game for Friday Night Footy. 
Sydney and Carlton from the SCG. This is another of those rounds. One game Friday, five Saturday, three Sunday. You should be pretty used to it at this point. We certainly are. We are going to get Thursday back during the buys, but that'll only be until round, I think, 18 or so. It's about that. Yeah, something like that. I guess heading toward finals, they're trying to keep clubs on similar schedules, which makes sense. It's like how the NFL doesn't have a Thursday game the last week of the year or Monday. So this game gets underway at 2.50 a.m. on Friday for us, 5.50 if you're on the East Coast, and 7.50 p.m. local time. Fox Sports 2 showing it for American audiences, and this is a really compelling matchup to me because similar to when Sydney hosted Frio a couple weeks ago, you could kind of kind of feel some desperation in the air. The Swans are 4-6. and six. They're at 12th on the ladder, coming off the chaotic interchange violation win at North Melbourne. Carlton sit in 11th, 4-5-1, coming off that loss to Collingwood. And really, there was a lot of talk around Carlton, like from players, coaches, upper management of just like, we have to be better, we're better than this. And I mean, talent-wise, they, they are. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I believe it was Sam Walsh in particular who you really gained the respect for with the way he made those statements. Yeah, he, he was very well-spoken. I remember the Friday nighter these clubs played last year at a very full Marvel Stadium, or at least it was in the, the mid-40s, the crowd for this one. Carlton jumped out to a 38-point lead. Charlie Curnell kicked five of his six goals in the first half, but... They really had to hold on late as they did a lot in the first half of last year, and the Blues ended up winning by 15. On the injury front for Sydney, it gets worse. Uh, slightly, depending on your perspective. Peter Laddams suffered that ankle injury when he landed on Todd Goldstein last week, so he's going to be out long-term. Oh, we're going with long-term now? I think this one is just, they haven't gone through all the scans and details yet. Yeah, I mean, once they set a timeline for surgery that'll become clearer tom hickey sounds like he's somewhere between questionable and probable to exit concussion protocols if he can't go they'd probably have to settle for lachlan mcandrew in the rock and he wasn't very good a couple weeks earlier and mark pitnett could have a field day pitnett just signed a four-year contract extension which a lot of blues fans find to be too long considering he's already 26 realistically, if he plays like 60 games over that stretch, considering how much he's been hurt, you take that as a win because, you know, he's kind of a one trick pony. But that one trick is hit outs to advantage. And he's really, really good at getting hit outs to advantage. I guess they've given up on Tom DeConey at this point, because with that contract extension to pin that, I mean, seems like resignation that he's gone and they'll try to get as much draft stock as they can for him, I imagine, from Geelong. I mean, assuming that's where he'd end up, could use him right now, honestly. I mean, this is one of those things where it's like, man, you wish midseason trades existed. Would mean I wouldn't have to watch John Segler struggle anymore. I, I feel like, I know I've been kind of harsh on him, but he's been really bad. Uh, possible candidates to return this week from the VFL include Tom DeConing for the Blues. Also, Caleb Marchbank came back from a calf injury. I don't know if He'd be able to jump in right away or need another week, but that's a possibility. On Sydney's side, they've been getting good VFL performances from Lewis Melkin, Angus Sheldrick, Corey Warner, and Sam Wicks. That's been the list of good VFL performers as of late. Melkin has yet to get an AFL look this season, and that's the same with Wicks. 
I'm a little surprised that Wix hasn't gotten in with some of their tall forward struggles, although Buddy did have a pretty nice game last week, which that was nice to see. You don't want to see like an all-time great kind of wither and get forced out. I might have made the comparison to like Ken Griffey Jr. before. Not sure if you did, but that's it's a pretty good comparison there. Um, Again, when he caught so much flack for his poor performance a couple weeks back, he was pretty ill leading into that game, and Horse was surprised he nominated himself to play. Oh, yeah, I guess John Longmire is now one of the longest tenured coaches in the league, the other being his grand final foe from last year. Continuing with the Blues reserves, surprise, Jackson Bins and Patty Dow were good in the VFL as well, despite Carlton losing to Williamstown. Their oval has these spectacular waterfront views, by the way. I was like blown away by those. That was so cool. It also seems like the wind there can be hellish. All the comments I saw talked about the wind there and also at Casey Fields being particularly nasty for VFL contests. One player that I expect to be sent back into the VFL is Jordan Boyd. Yeah, bringing him in for Alex Chincata backfired really, really badly. Boyd was undisciplined at the start and wasn't as strong in his main assignments as Chincata was. Disappointing performances as well for Corey Durden and Jesse Motloff looking at the forward line. Those two need to be more involved, and they never seem to be able to really get into the game on the offensive side. Motlop, at least I've seen do some stuff at times. This year, Durden, other than like one really bad kick, I've hardly noticed him. Are they not targeting him enough, or is he just not stinging the marks? I don't know if he's just, if it's a matter of him not going after the ball enough or getting himself open or what it is, but I mean, I don't see the Blues leading all that well at times. Look, when you have Makai and Kernow being the number three option behind them, you should get your chances. And at some point, you, the player, have to step up and make that happen. Blues are favored by two and a half as of very late Tuesday night on the West Coast of the U.S., going off the Bovada odds here. I understand the slight tip of Carlton, given both clubs have had their struggles and the injury toll that the Swans have, the potential for Charlie to kick a significant bag. Does the home ground advantage for Sydney cancel that out? I think if it's a close game, Sydney wins. I think this is one of those where the line is just like the average of everything to try to, you know, split the money so that the odds makers end up cashing out. I can only see the Blues winning by a five goal plus margin. I can see them winning by like 15. I wouldn't rule that out. I mean, I can't. What I meant by that is that I can't see Sydney blowing this game open. I could. I don't think it's very likely, but I I could. This is this is a really tough game to bet on, honestly. This is why I really like this being the lead into the round. I also want to comment on one other thing. You know, George Hewitt was the sub last week. Would think he'll get elevated into a main role again. Here's my question. Why was he in for Oliver Hollins? I don't get, like, what Ed Kernow possibly does to merit his inclusion in any way. He has incriminating photos of Michael Voss. I don't get it, but Voss has, like, this weird obsession with him. Tell me what Ed Kernow does. He's Charlie's brother. Pretty much. Uterno actually had 21 disposals last week, but that's like best performance I can think of from him in a long time. And even with that, his efficiency was barely over 70%. I'm just, I'm just not impressed by him. A, a lot of times, if I call a player out, they end up playing really well the next couple of weeks. I'm thinking of Trent Rivers in particular. Yeah, I don't see that being so likely in this case. I just, 
I still think the dude's that good. He's on the wrong side of 30. I don't think he's going to be around that much longer. Saturday starts with the Saints and Hawks at Marvel Stadium, 1.45 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. So 11.45 p.m. Eastern, 8.45 p.m. Pacific, Friday night in the U.S. It is a Fox Soccer Plus broadcast, so we'll be tuning in on Watch AFL. The Saints are in a familiar spot because they were 7-3 and and in 5th last year going into round 11. They went into the bye at 8-3, and I think it was. We, we've talked about their trends from last year enough. I think their win last week, I still think they're due for more regression and more of a downward swing. The new coach spell has worn off enough, I think. They have a shot in finals, which I never thought I'd be saying. The way they won last week was really encouraging to me. They didn't play their best game. They didn't just impose their will. They they did some of the, you know, slowly deflate the game fourth quarter stuff. But other than that, like they had they had to grind it out. They were tested. They were forced out of their comfort zone. I really liked how they played. They were forced into a bit of a difficult spot with Mitch Owens getting concussed. Still surprised that he ended up back on the bench supporting the guys in the third quarter. Obviously, he's going to be out this week because of that. Thankfully, they could be regaining Tim Membry. He seems to be ready to exit concussion protocols, which is kind of insane considering how he looked when he first got concussed, like struggling to stay upright. I don't know. I'm still puzzled by concussions in so many ways. They're not going to be getting Zach Jones back anytime soon. He had a setback on his recovery from an Achilles injury, and he's going to be out four to six weeks a Again, with this Achilles that has just been terrible for him the past couple of years, he's had these really long term injuries, and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up calling it quits very soon with how little of the oval he's been able to see. Possible VFL options, Jack Billings, Jack Bytel, Leo Connolly, Tom Highmore, Cooper Sharman, and Marcus Windhager. I think Windhager is going to try and move on pretty soon. I know of a place that could use some midfielders. Yeah, and... And Mark O'Connor has shown a lot of merit as a role player outside of the tag. So there is a real spot for him there. Let's see. Windhager is from actual Melbourne. I would think just about every Victorian club would be interested in, in him. But the Cats can really use him and I really like him. So I'm, I'm going to keep ringing that bell as much as I can. Would love to see him in for Sir Doug Nichols round. Finally getting that chance. But... I don't think a tag is a big part of Ross Lyons coaching style. You could maybe use one on Jai Newcomb. You could use one on Newcomb. I'd actually say Will Day. Maybe Connor Nash? Nash is more of a tagger himself. Do you tag the tagger? I mean, he gets the ball a lot. He does. Yeah, was really successful against Tim Kelly last week. I'd try Will Day, though, to start and then maybe look to shift to Newcomb. Hawks enter at 2-8. and eight. They're in 16th now. That's probably as high as they'll get. Maybe. Yeah, I can't see them getting. I mean, I see the Giants winning enough games to stay out of the bottom three. I mean, maybe there's a week or two where they could pass up to 15th or 14th. But I think this is about where they finish up. Maybe even a spot lower, depending on how North does. Speaking of Ned Reeves, going to be an interesting week for him at the club. Now that his dad's not there, so uh, no free rides for him, I guess. He was subbed out against the Eagles with an ankle injury, but should be good to go this week. So having him and Lloyd Meek to be able to match up against Rowan Marshall is a much more optimal situation than the alternative. 
On the other hand, Chankwas Jaff, Josh Ward, and Chad Wingard are a week or two away. They've had some really good performers down at Box Hill in the VFL like every week, basically, and that's continued with, well, Fergus Green was sent down there and responded really well. Jack Scrimshaw has been there for a couple weeks now. Uh, Bailey McDonald, who was a late pick in the 2022 draft and I think is related to Connell McDonald. And I don't see anything confirming it, actually. Yeah, I don't either. And they went to different schools. They grew up in the same area. Also, Cooper Stevens, what's the deal? So I didn't know he grew up a Hawks fan, but like, why didn't he use him? It's funny because a year ago, it's like, all right, Cooper Stevens is moving to another club, should get him more chances. And now it's like he hasn't gotten those. He'd probably have had a chance if he was at Geelong, considering what the midfield there looks like. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see him get in. When you're in the situation that Hawthorne is in, try out as many pieces as you that you have. See what merit they have at the top level now. See where maybe you could take their development based on a couple top-level outings. That said, I get why they wouldn't want to change a ton from last week. You know, even if you're playing against the worst team ever to win by, what was it, 116? You have to play pretty well to do that, no matter what the quality of competition is. Looking at the meetings last year, this was a double up and it's going to be a double up again this year. Hawthorne's going to host another Marvel Stadium game, actually, in round 20. Don't see the Hawks playing many home games there. I also don't see them crying like little bitches about it, unlike some people. Hey, he resigned. I mean, it's not just him, it's the whole club, but it's especially him. Yeah, it started with him. But round four last year, St. Kilda put the hurt on Hawthorne, winning by... A pretty nice margin. Actually, a very nice margin. I remember Hawthorne got off to a hot start in that game, like usual, and then just, that was it. Four different players had four goals for the Saints that day. Jade Gresham, Bradley Hill, Max King, and Tim Membry. Teams played again in round 20 at Marvel, a game the Saints won by two goals, but led by 44 before Hawthorne scored the final five. Saints come in on a five-game win streak against the Hawks going back to 2019. And they're favored by 27 and a half as we're recording. This seems like another average outcome sort of thing where the Saints could easily blow past them. Yeah, seems like a fair line. Just 25 minutes after that, we have the game that'll be on Fox Sports 1. Hopefully, a lot of American audiences will get their first taste of the sport because there are some places that carry FS1 but not FS2. And it's just a channel people are more likely to have on and to know of. There's a deep or, or more to seek out. Like people know that FS2 exists, but people aren't as likely to just go randomly like, hey, let's see what's on Fox Sports 2. And it's even less likely they check out Fox Sports 3 because it doesn't exist. Exactly. Anyway, it's Melbourne hosting Fremantle at the G or Narm hosting Wallyalla. This gets underway 9, 10 p.m. Friday night for us. 12, 10 a.m. Saturday on the East Coast of the United States. 12, 10 p.m. in Western Australia and... Well, ex- excluding Euclid, of course. And 2.10 p.m. at the actual MCG. Oh, yeah, I guess parts of uh, Western Australia and a little South Australia. It would get underway at um, 12.55 p.m. I would love to meet a person from Euclid. I want a preseason game between a West and a South team to be played in Euclid or one of those other border cities just for it to happen. You could do it with, like, that State League All-Star game thing. I mean, I don't think Euclid really even has an oval looking on the map. 
I don't care. Find a way to make it happen. I don't care if there are like trees in the middle of the field. I don't care if you have to play going through a pub. Is there even a pub there? I'm not really seeing much. It just looks like a gas station, basically. All right, well, there's there's not a lot there. It's really small. I want to see a Ben Brown-style run-up that ends up going through the entire town. I fully support this. Anyway, this actual game should be really good. D's come in at 7-3. and three. They're in fourth after losing to Port Adelaide. The Dockers are only 5-5, five and five, but they're up to 10th on the ladder. They've won three straight, beat Geelong pretty convincingly last week. And this will be the second straight year that these teams meet in round 11. Last year, the Dockers ended the Jake Bowie streak. 17 consecutive wins once number 17 came into the lineup. Stephen May got concussed in that game, and the D's led by 30 in the middle of the second quarter and by 25 at the half. But the Dockers took control from there. Lock May injury really was the turning point. Yeah, and you can understand why they lost that game and the next. It was a 75-12 second half, although it was a 1-6 for Melbourne, to be entirely fair. Lockie Schultz kicked 4-1 and was clearly best on ground. He had one of his best games. I remember him also getting the help from an awesome Michael Frederick tap for one of those goals. That was one of the most underrated highlights of the year. Then in the rematch in round 20 out west, the D's controlled the game from the outset and won by 46 points. Jack Viney was best on ground in that one. The Dockers have had a tradition of really shitting the bed in their Friday night home games, it seems like. Other than, I think they had one against North last year that... I mean, that was North last year. North scored 24 points. Yeah, but for the most part, Friday night home games for Frio, and I guess Thursday night home games as well, have just not been good. On Melbourne's side, going to have to see a couple of changes this week because Lockie Hunter's one-game suspension was upheld, and Clayton Oliver is going to be out. Sounds like roughly three to four weeks with a hamstring injury that he finished the game through last week. Bye-bye, Brownlow. You think? I mean, most likely, but... And speaking of Jake Bowie, he might be able to return from a calf injury in this one. Yeah, he was subbed out last week for James Jordan, who then went on to play in the VFL the next day, which is badass. Kind of amazing. Also, Tom Sparrow's back from his suspension. I don't think there are going to be too many forward changes, but Ben Brown and Jake Melcham have played well there. The other guy that could come in off of some good VFL performances would be James Harms. Have we, have we talked about a possible goal song for James Harms before? Well, I know Melbourne doesn't really do individual goal songs, but My Shiny Teeth and Me would just be too perfect. Do Australians know about the Fairly Odd Parents? Good show. Like, I might have mentioned this on a prior episode. It was kind of like the number two cartoon to SpongeBob. I think that was like kind of a collective perception. I think kind of everyone saw it as the number two cartoon. Like, SpongeBob was far and away number one. From that era of Nick when Stephen Hillenburg was still running the show. Rest in peace. And then for Frio... They really have no need to make any changes off of how good they were last week. Maybe just change around who's in the sub role. Maybe you manage someone and you could bring in someone out of Will Brody, Sam Sturt, or Carl Warner. But this is definitely one of those cases where it's certainly not broke right now. And it will be really dumb to try to fix something. Like, I mean, it looks like things have been fixed for them. They're getting back to more of that fast pace through the corridor. And they've really figured out the shape of the forward line between Luke Jackson at center half forward, Jai Amis and Josh Tracy getting the time in the forward pockets. It looks like a team that actually understands their identity now. 
people who didn't actually watch them play in the last few weeks would be like, what the fuck is Josh Tracy doing? He had four disposals last week, but you see just how much his presence changes them up front. You got to have the dude in there. James Jordan playing for the KC Demons, that, I guess, kind of a reverse Matt Walner. Oh, yeah. So Matt Walner of the Minnesota Twins played for their AAA team, the St. Paul Saints, on Tuesday morning, and then played in the Twins game Tuesday night. Yeah, he hinch hit. So he didn't play a full game. Well, just like James Jordan said. And this is fun. The first tweet that comes up when I looked up Matt Walner's name is from our friend Nick Batters, who's the play-by-play broadcaster for the Kansas City Royals AAA team in Omaha. Yeah, Omaha was playing against St. Paul Walner. He played the whole game, one one for four. Also, I think he's one of the guys, one of the surprising number of Minnesota Twins that are actually from Minnesota. Like, for a state that doesn't produce a ton of baseball players, it's amazing how many homegrown guys actually play for the Twins. They just love picking them up in those middle and late rounds of the draft. I don't know if there's any specific time for it, but they definitely like it. Yeah, he's from the Minneapolis suburbs, so so that's pretty cool. Cool stuff, yeah. Anyway, Melbourne favored by 18 and a half, which, with the way Frio's playing lately, I think that's probably about a goal higher than I'd put it. I'd put it more like 10 and a half. Surprised that the line is where it is after the Oliver injury news? I mean, I'm expecting Jack Viney to draw a more important assignment there and to get more attention. Yeah, or Christian Petraka could just go out and basically do everything. He could. The other player that I'm really looking at in this one is Angus Brayshaw. This is the Brayshaw battle. Let's have fun with that. What if Andrew shows up with a helmet too? No, best case scenario, Andrew has a helmet, Angus doesn't. Yes. Well, Angus played without a helmet last week for a little bit. I really want to know what was the deal, because I'm sure someone would have asked if it wasn't there for the entire game, but it was... It was only gone for the first few minutes, and then nobody really, like, I think it's still a mystery. I'm guessing that a strap needed to be fixed. You'd think he'd have, like, a backup helmet for that, though. I don't know. I'm I'm so confused. Middle game on Saturday. It's no midfield hosting a midfield. And yes, that's how I'm describing Geelong hosting the Giants at the Cattery. Yeah, the midfield situation for the Cats has gotten even worse. But Jai Clark is going to be out for probably a couple months with this stress reaction in his foot. And Max Holmes has a torn meniscus. So he's going to be out for the medium term, whatever that means. We don't know what it means that they're still going to be without Patrick Dangerfield, Mitch Duncan, Jack Bowes until the bye, which is round 13. They're one of two clubs on the round 13 bye, along with Gold Coast. I've been saying it for a while. Gold Coast and Geelong players will be key to navigating the buys in fantasy. Maybe Dangerfield could get back next week, but at his age, it seems like something you probably don't chance. This one gets underway at 11.35 p.m. Friday night here in the U.S., 2.35 a.m. Saturday on the East Coast of the United States, 4.35 p.m. local time at Geelong, and it'll be 9.35 a.m. on Saturday in lovely Bulgaria. Do they play any footy out there? I've seen some stuff about footy in Central and Eastern Europe. I have no idea. This will be a Fox Sports 2 game. Cats come in at 5-5. Five and five. They're in 7th, having lost at Frio. Giants at 3-7. and seven. They're in 15th after putting up a pretty solid showing in a loss to the Saints. They did cop a couple really important injuries in that one, though. Nick Haynes and Harry Himmelberg were both concussed in the first half. 
So their defensive ranks get even thinner. And I would imagine Jeremy Cameron is licking his chops, looking at the kind of assignments he might get from his former club against whom he kicked 5-2 last year in round eight out in Canberra as the Cats won by 53. This is a great opportunity for Jezza to bounce back, whether he's up against, do you think it would be Isaac Cumming, Connor Iden, Callum Brown? I don't know, but I thought he was going to go ham last week. He's got to this week. If the Giants' defense was healthier, I'd be really concerned about this game. I'm still concerned that I'm not a Cats fan. Getting Sam DeConing back should help with the defense, and I think the offense should be just fine considering who GWS is missing. It's just, you're going to have to convert on your opportunities, and Tyson Stengel is going to need to be a bit smarter with the ball in hand. That's going to be something that would be really nice about getting Gary Rowan back. Even though Rowan at times looks old, I trust his instincts. Here's the weird thing. They've lost both games this year where he kicked two goals. Yeah, I feel like that's bound to even out. I mean, the stat line was so good before. Maybe he just needs to kick three. But yeah, DeConing and Rowan and Ollie Henry should all be back this week. Ollie one ball. I don't know how many or what the situation is to rehab from that. And I don't want to know. I'm just glad he's doing all right. And hopefully they let Jack Henry play defense where he belongs. With Ollie and Rowan coming back, I that would seem way too obvious. The other change I would make is to put Brad Close in more of a midfield role. Yeah, you mentioned that before with the slingshotting that we know he's able to do. And with his speed, that could be a good way to counteract some of the Giants' own runs and see, test them to retreat well when they're not as clean with the ball. I do expect Stephen Canelio to have a really strong game. I've you got know, him as my captain this week. I feel like if you have him or Tom Green captain them, unfortunately, Josh Kelly injured his hamstring and he could be out a month rehabbing that. Also, Phil Davis injured his calf in the VFL. Will he ever see an AFL field again? I think he gets in there for at least one more game. I hope he does. He seems to be really well-respected as a leader and as a veteran. Uh, other GWS injury news, Callum Ward was the sub last week, could see him moved into a full-time role. They had a few different good VFL performers, and they defeated Sandringham. That's uh, St. Kilda's reserve team. Makes sense that they matched up in a curtain raiser, actually, to the AFL contest. Wade Dirksen, Josh Fahey, Matt Flynn, and Harry Rouston were good performers in that one. Not sure what the status will be on Flynn at this point, because Kieran Briggs impressed against Rowan Marshall last week and ended up kicking a goal as well. Rick Shibani on that A Yank on the Footy episode. Rick, by the way, is with the LA Dragons. Love seeing the USAFL representation in our American footy fan base. Was really impressed with how Briggs has matured while at the club. We were both talking about how raw he appeared just a couple years ago, and their development staff seems to have been doing a pretty good job in general considering some of the younger pieces that they have. So I'm just not sure where things are between Briggs and Flynn at this point. I would hope Briggs gets a second game considering what he did, and I don't like just shuttling guys back and forth so quickly. If you're trying to plan for the future, you give guys runs of a couple games in a row, see what they can do week in and week out. I assume you don't like the Cats being favored by 40 and a half based on what you said before. Yeah, that is insanely high. By the way, Hopefully, DeConing coming back in means you can just use him and Mark Blitzovs as rucks and send John Segler to a nice farm upstate. Just send him to Ibiza with Dima. Oh, okay. 
maybe Cooper White gets a game as not just a sub. O'Sheen Mullen and James Willis are both in consideration. I just want this Irish brigade to grow for the Cats, so bring on Mullen for the debut, please. What really interests me in this game, the question of how much of your system do you change up for these couple of games where your midfield is so thin versus, you know, keeping things consistent regardless of personnel, because for now, I feel like you might need some unconventional solutions for a game like this, or especially next week against the Dogs. I am thinking the dogs will run him over. Yeah, hopefully not as thoroughly as Frio did last week, but it could easily happen. It could easily be worse. So this is a win they must have. You have to win this game. I don't think they win it by 40. I think this is somewhere in the 20 to 30 range at best. I, I feel like that's not overly optimistic or overly negative. I think like, I think it's pretty measured. Yeah. Don't forget, as always, you can find us on Twitter at AmericanSpuddy. You can find me on Twitter at Castle Media. You can find Brian Harambe on Instagram at CatNamedGrian. You can find me on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. You can find Brian Harambe actually looking at me right now and seeming very interested in my hand as I was just waving at him. His eyes get so wide. We've got five games to preview to finish this thing up. It's the late two on Saturday and then the three on Sunday. So we're going to pick things up with the first Northern Territory game of the year. We're out in Darwin for the Gold Coast Suns against the Western Bulldogs. The Suns play two games a year out in Darwin because it was added to their Academy Zone as part of their concession package in 2019. That's also the package that got them Matt Rowell and Noah Anderson through getting a priority pick. I had a dream that the AFL announced that like they're going to play all of round nine in Darwin. That would have been badass. I would love to see a Gather around. up north. I know they never do it, but it would be sick. It would make sense to do it as part of the Sir Doug Nichols round if you're ever going to do it. And the thing that gets me most excited thinking about the Suns and Darwin. Well, firstly, they played really well there last year, but also they've got a couple Northerners now on the list. Mal Rosas has been getting back into form. Hopefully Joel Jeffrey gets a shot because he performed well in Darwin last year, and he also showed up big time against the Dogs in round 10, just before they went to the top end last year. The Suns lost that game in Ballarat by 19, but Jeffrey kicked five straight, including a goal over his head. So this game will start at 6.55 p.m. local time, and Northern Territory is on the same time zone as South Australia, so that's 7.25 p.m. for viewers of the Pacific States of Australia. For American audiences, it'll be 5.25 a.m. Eastern, 2.25 a.m. Pacific on Saturday the 27th. Unfortunately, this broadcast is being delayed on Fox Soccer Plus. First time we're having this this season. Yeah, I feel like that was way more common last year. Yeah, but first time it's happening this year, it'll be at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 Pacific. The Suns enter 4-6. and six. They're in 13th. They lost to the Lions last week. If you didn't see it, think of any Q clash you've ever seen before, and it was basically that. Uh, they stuck in there for longer than most Q clashes, actually. It seems like they were apt to, in the past, lose it in the third rather than the fourth. I don't know. They all kind of blend into me. They're all they're all quite similar. Meanwhile, the Dogs have won seven of eight since starting 0-2, and convincingly beat the Crows last week in Ballarat to jump up to sixth. The Dogs have also won nine of the last ten meetings between these two clubs, beginning with four home games 
in big air quotes there because they were out in Cairns between 2014 and 17. No Cairns footy scheduled for this year, which is a disgrace. On the injury front for the Suns, the only casualty from last week was Sean Lemons pulling his hamstring, but he hadn't played well anyway. Um, if you're looking for like a straight defensive replacement, something out of Ben Long, Bodie Uland, or Uland, I'm I'm not sure. I know, however I say it, I'm going to get it wrong. Or Lockie Weller could come in. Weller had been getting a lot of possessions, working the boundary and the wing from halfback. I would not be shocked if he ends up getting that assignment. Okay. And then good VFL performers last week. They did not play against the Lions. It was not a curtain raiser. They played, they lost to Werribee. That's kind of surprising. Yeah, their first loss of the year. So the Brisbane Lions are the only undefeated VFL side now. But but yeah, Mabi Archol and Sam Stupid Sexy Flanders both played pretty well. Surprise, surprise. Mabi Archol deserves to be in at the top level. I, I don't know why, they, why they're doing this. It seems like it's almost Casbolt one week, Chol the next. So hopefully it's Bob Yor's turn again. I mean, I feel like you could do something with having both of them. Although, I don't know if the way to do it would be to allow Ben King to be more of a running half forward and <laughs> some stuff along the wing. I see him as a bit more of a center half, maybe even have him attend some center bounces if he's willing to get physical like that. I'm not sure how much they'd risk it with him, you know, having torn his ACL last year, but... I liked so much of Ben King's running before he got injured, looking back at what I liked for the Suns in 2020 and 21. And they're going to need to do some running in this one because they'll be playing on the longest ground in the league out in Marara, 175 meters long. That's five meters longer than Launceston. See, I'm thinking with, you know, if you use both Chol and Casbolt because the Dogs have so many talls, you know, you can kind of try to fight fire with fire there. I don't know if that's the right move, though, or if you need to go small to really stretch them out. I'm not sure what the right strategy is, and I think, I don't think most people have an idea of what the strategy is, considering how well the dogs have played lately. Dogs will be forced into one change because, unfortunately, one of their best kind of re-emerging performers this year, Jason Johannesson, suffered a high-grade hamstring injury in Ballarat, and he will be out two months there's no surgery required but you could tell right away there was a severe injury vfl was on a buy so nothing to really go off there although maybe this is the spot where mitch hannon or hayden crozier come back in looking at the defensive ranks if you want to go a little taller in defense there's former cricketer alex keith Toby McLean and Riley West are options as well going through the middle west had a couple good games here or there last year but they were struggling for a lot of depth performances, and you definitely consider Johannesson to be depth, and now he's not going to be there. I think they need to do something more than just having a straight-up replacement in Josh Bruce, because that's not like-for-like like at all. Bruce is available again after suffering the rib injury six weeks ago now. Here's something that's nice for the dogs. Because of how guys like Johannesson and Bailey Williams have, have played, you're at the point where these options of sort of unremarkable guys that we're looking at, you know, they're in the role that fits them instead of we need one of these guys to really play like a main piece. They've got all these kind of lower end filler options that are more in like a quad A role. And those guys are better than quad A roles. Those are, you know, the guys we just mentioned, such as Mitch Hannon, they'd be like everyday players on bad teams. 
Also throw friend of a friend of the show, Book of Thomas, into that list of people, even though he wasn't among those named for good reserve performances. He's been an emergency a lot. Adam Trelore is doubtful for this game on the end of his recovery from a hamstring injury. Could be back next week. And I'm unsure of what kind of role he's going to have now that Bailey Smith has gotten so much more of the ball and has been a whole lot better for it. If Trelore is good to go, then maybe he'll get slotted in there as that moving halfback because they tried him there for a bit last year and he didn't show poorly there. He's a pretty versatile player. You can stick him in a following role and he does fine. He's good enough that he's got a lot of options. He's just an overall really strong player. Dogs are favored by 11 and a half. Seems appropriate given the Suns lift a bit in Darwin, but the dogs have also been on that tear and they've got the midfield depth do well enough on a longer ground. Then again, the Suns have shown well in that respect too, and Rory Atkins has been a very good piece there since he returned a couple rounds ago, going from the defensive wing to the midfield. So this could be a real test of stamina and interchanges. Just don't make more than 75. Or do. It would be kind of funny if someone did that again. I think it would be way funnier if it happened again now particularly this coming week. Yeah, to do it like immediately after would be really funny. West Coast hosting Essendon at Optus Stadium. That one starts five minutes after. If you're not a fan of one of these two teams or just a complete sicko, you probably shouldn't watch this. Yes, ha ha ha, yes. I mean, that's what the Western Bombers are saying, and I wouldn't be surprised if they outnumbered Eagles fans. No, the Eagles fans are still showing up to the home games pretty well, considering how bad things have been. I got Nice. I respect it. I don't feel like we'll see how it is after the drubbing they suffered last week. Like, I don't feel that fans are obligated to show up for a shitty team. Hint, Oakland Athletics. And I think it's cool that fans have still been showing up for the Eagles home games. And I'd like it for, you know, the Eagles home games to still be something where they aren't just total pushovers. That's It's going to be tough. They're missing so many guys. And when they're healthy, they're not that good to begin with. But it would be nice if they had something at their backs that could that could resemble help. This one gets underway 2.30 a.m. Saturday for us, 5.30 a.m. on the East Coast of the U.S., 5.30 p.m. locally at Optus, so you shouldn't have the awful shadows that you had last week for Frio's game, and 7.30 p.m. in the Eastern States. This will be a Fox Soccer Plus game. Hey, the Eagles beat Essendon last year in round 15. That was so refreshing. I remember that game was at a point in the summer where the sun was rising really early, and I remember it rising right around the time the final siren sounded, because it was a 3.40 a.m. bounce. Was it a Friday doubleheader? Had to have been, right, for it to be 3.40? Yeah, it was. Josh Kennedy kicked five goals straight in that one. Meanwhile, Essendon were inaccurate. Peter Wright kicked 4-4, and Archie Perkins won 3 I like what Perkins has done this year. I think he's gotten the steadier role for himself. Essendon, by the way, are 5-5. Five and five. They sit in ninth because of percentage after snapping their 13-game losing streak against Richmond. Had to have been incredibly cathartic with the way it happened, too. I've been sending the highlights of Dreamtime and the Port versus Melbourne game to some of my friends to just gauge their reactions to it. Have you gotten any reactions? Yeah, they were pretty impressed. The Eagles have won four of the last five meetings. Essendon are going to make it four of six. 
Yeah, this is probably not going to go very well. Um, yeah, Oscar Allen is now training lightly because he's got a bit of a knee problem. Luke Shuey mentioned that in his presser. Of course, he's not playing either. Tom Barris should be back from illness, and Shannon Hearn and Elliot Yo could be close to returning. I mean, Yo will get hurt again once he's back. Yes, he is Elliot Glass, Bones, and Paper Skin Yo. I, I know we joke about it, but like, I legitimately feel bad for the guy. I think we all do. I think we can feel bad for him, but also have a laugh about it because, I mean, it's every fucking week with this guy. Glad that Luke Edwards isn't on the injury report, but the timeline isn't clear on a few others, including Elijah Hewitt. Not much to go off in the waffle because it's the Eagles reserves and they lost by, well, less than their AFL affiliate lost by how much? 89 to Peel Thunder. So, uh, okay, a waffle derby. Okay, they lost to like a real team then. In front of 651 people. But Zane True did all right. I'm, I'm going to imagine there were probably more than 651 actually there. And just like the number of physical tickets or actual seats. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on these things. I'm an expert on frustration with this club. They also just don't do a good job promoting their waffle side at all. In any media whatsoever. You'd have to think that you know, even if they're struggling... If you're wanting the fans to show up in other ways to support the club, and heck, they had Will Schofield play for them for a game, and they pretty much mentioned nothing of it. Yeah, that's kind of whack. Like, all of the VFL teams are really good about it. Port Adelaide's great about promoting their Sandful team. And the Eagles do fuck all. I would be a better social media manager than who they have right now, I think. Yeah, that's that's got to be frustrating, because, like, even if the young guys aren't winning, you know, the fans are smart enough to understand, hey... This is about development. We can, you know, we can see something here. And also, there's just something special about, you know, going out to some of those smaller ovals, and you can see some prospects that the Eagles might be looking at as well. Oh yeah, you would know from experience. Will they win another game this year? Maybe. It depends on their health against North. They don't have Hawthorne again. North is their only chance. Even the Giants and Suns won multiple games in their first season. GWS only won one game in 2013, their second year. Oh, right. I, I do remember reading about that. Who did they beat the Suns? Melbourne. Melbourne went 2-20. and 20, So it would be like 10 years since it's happened. This is a perfect time to sit Phillips. I imagine they will, given his struggles. And Sam Schaefer can handle Bailey J and Callum Jamison and Josh Rotham or whoever else the fuck they decide to try in there. He's a big boy. Nick Bryan had huge numbers in the VFL last week. Also, Matt Guelphy and Patrick Voss returned from injuries. Guelphy could give their small forwards a boost because that's been one of their issues this year, although it was awesome to see Alwyn Davey Jr. get his goal at Dreamtime. Walla has been so proud of Alwyn, and he's been this great older brother figure to the young indigenous players on Essendon's list. I listened to the episode of Andy McGraw's one-on-one -on -one podcast on which Walla was the guest, and it was awesome. Ethan, I hope you listen to that after we're finished recording. Yeah, I haven't had a chance yet. I'm way behind on a bunch of other things. Like, I'm just now listening to the episode of the Mason Cox show where they're recapping round nine, coming off of Mason's great game against GWS. So I got a ways to go. Uh, Jaden Laverde could be back this week. He's questionable, come back from his shoulder injury. But look, this is not a game you need to rush guys for. And then 
Elijah Sadas and Peter Wright are each a few weeks away, right? Somewhere in the three to five week range. So it could line up with the buy for them. Bombers, 50 and a half point favorites. 50 and a half, I don't think it's enough. I mean, it's just realistically hard to favor a team by that much more, especially going on the road, making the long trip. What if they come out flat? And the bookmakers actually trying to make a little bit of money on this. I think this is fair. They'll be playing. They're a 50 point favorite in Perth. I can only imagine what it's going to be like round 21 when they play at the Docklands. Well, I, I hope by then at least you've got something of a healthier Eagles team that can at least sort of compete somehow. Question mark. I mean, they think. I, it How much worse could it physically get? I mean, I'm sure it could get worse. I They could go goalless in three quarters. What about all four? I'm not going to go that far. I think they'll manage at least one. I hope that's not too much to ask, even if Oscar Allen doesn't play. I love how much respect he's gotten around the league, though. I may have mentioned, I've probably mentioned that like every week, but he seems to be getting a lot of sympathy right now. That people are noticing a player on a shitty team playing well, especially a non-Victorian team, is really cool. Like a team that's written off every week. Sunday starts with one of my favorite matchups of the year, Maybe my favorite interstate matchup, period. It's Richmond and Port at the G. This matchup has just delivered since we started watching in 2020. That game at the Adelaide Oval in round 11 of 2020 was a 21-point win for Port. I remember being so invested in that game, and that really helped solidify just my all-out love for the game of footy. Do you remember much of that game at all? Do you remember much of that game at all, Ethan? I remember that. I remember their finals meeting that year. It's just every time these teams get together, it's been heated. It's been a close game. Well, it's, well, except for the round 21 meeting last year where the Tigers used a big third quarter to pull away and win by 38. Shea Bolton kicked 4-5 in that game. He kicked no goals 5 in the first meeting, which was a hardly attended Thursday night game that Richmond won by 12 at the G. If you wanted evidence as to why Thursday night footy was a bit of a tough sell, a game like that was why. Or, you know, what else they could have done? They could have just played that game with Marvel. This matchup hasn't been contested there since 2014, in fact. But those 2020 meetings, the things I remember, Tom Rockliffe getting 100 meters in penalties from Dustin Martin and Josh Caddy, then a really tough contest in the rain for that prelim, 46 to 40 was the final in favor of Richmond. I remember Peter Laddams punching Tom Lynch in the dick. Ooh, yeah. Laddams also, I believe, scored early on in that game in the home and away in round 20. That finals meeting, though, was probably the start of your dislike for the guy. Yeah. Punching people in the dick is kind of a kind of a big no-go. Then in 2021, Robbie Gray had the winner with a few minutes to go in a game that Port held on to win by two. I remember Steven Motbop being particularly visible in that game. But I hope this one delivers again. Obviously, so much to look out for with Richmond now being Dimolis. And that's a word now. It's going to take a lot of getting used to. Yeah. There are three, six, and one in 14th after losing Dreamtime. Meanwhile, Port are eight and two. They are in third after taking down the D's. This will be a 1.10 p.m. local bounce at the G, 12.40 p.m. for South Australian viewers and Northern Territory viewers. 
for American audiences, 11.10 p.m. Eastern, 8.10 p.m. Pacific on Saturday night, the 27th on Fox Soccer Plus. Nick Blostone is questionable with a cork leg, I guess. So that's, like we've said before, a cork is basically just like a deep bruise or contusion, I guess. Yeah, he had some really important saves in the first half in the game last week. Defender Tom Brown is available. He's missed most of the year with a wrist injury. Tyler Young on his way back played VFL. Tyler. Um, other good VFL performers included Sam Banks, Noah Cumberland, Ben Miller, and Tyler Sanzi. A Jack Revolt or someone gets managed. That's where Cumberland or Miller could slot in. Or maybe even Sanzi, although I see Sanzi as a bit more of a half forward. I think he's been a pretty mature player when he's been up. And while the Tigers lost in the AFL, they won a close one in the VFL, coming back to win by two in a Dreamtime Curtain Razor. I almost want to go back and watch that one just to see how intense that one ended up being. The Power, still going by Yarda Pulte, will be without their captain, Tom Jonas. He was suspended a week for a dangerous tackle on Tom McDonald. And remember, he should have been called for high contact, but ended up getting the holding the ball call and Port took the lead on that play. It wasn't the final lead change, but still... A very, but still, very much an inflection point in the game. Todd Marshall is probable to come back for a concussion. Meanwhile, the status is a bit more questionable for Trav Boak, who came off with a rib injury, and Charlie Dixon, who's missed a couple games in a row, rehabbing his quad. Lord has been such an important player without Marshall and Dixon in there as a tall target, and he's lived up to the role. He's a, he's a player who's willing to attack the footy on the ground and in the air, and I love seeing those types of players, especially on the younger side. You can you can see Ken Hankley shift the magnets around for this one it, with Marshall likely to come back in. Ryan Burden could be a logical one to slide back because he can be that sort of swing man between 50s. Or if you want to keep him forward, this could be a chance for Tom Clurry to come in and replace Jonas. I like that Hankley's been willing to move around pieces, though. The emergence of Defenders like Miles Bergman and Dylan Williams on the younger side has allowed for that flexibility with Burton and Darcy Byrne Jones to become that pressure half forward. He had 12 tackles last week and also was able to get that important soccer kick toward the goal square on the go ahead and final goal by Connor Rosie. He's at home there. Port Adelaide favored by two and a half, which, considering what Richmond do in games decided by less than the goal, it makes sense. Again, it would be hilarious if they won a close game now that Hardwick's gone. Like, one of the most well-respected coaches in the game, and the moment he leaves, fuck it, Dusty after the siren. Who would be the funniest to kick a goal after the siren? Noah Cumberland. Duh. Oh, yeah. Or Mansell, because he had that set shot out on the full with a few minutes left in dream time. Yeah, I I guess Cumberland would be the funniest. Oh, Cumberland has to be. What if he gets called for playing on again? I can't see him making that mistake a second time. I can't see it either, but we've yet to see someone trying for a a late game set shot, trying to gain a little extra ground or just veering off the line and getting called for play on. And I feel like it's going to happen at some point. Some umpire is going to be gutsy enough to make the call. I don't exactly know what to expect here just because I'm not sure how much Andrew McWalter is going to be changing up Richmond's structure. I don't think it's going to be anything that remarkable, but over the next few rounds, we'll probably start to see a bit of a shift in their strategy, and that'll be fun to track. Who knows how different things will look when they rematch in the final round at Adelaide Oval. This will be the fourth time in five years 
that the Tigers and Power will play twice. Chances that Collingwood and North live up to the meeting last year, zero? Yeah, unlikely. I don't know how this got the, like, prime Sunday slot instead of really either of the other two games, or making Darwin the big deal for Sunday because it's the Sir Duncan Nichols round. I mean, I think they usually try to make it a night game at Darwin, from what I can tell. I, I guess, yeah. I think it, next week's is a night game too, isn't it? And the Pies aren't bitching about playing at Marvel. I mean, actually, maybe their fans are because... They're Collingwood, so they can easily sell this out. And I think they might actually have already sold it out. Maybe their ticket allotment? I'm not sure. That would be impressive, considering they had less than 40000 for the game against GWS, although that was Mother's Day. Reserve seating has been sold out for okay, Sunday. Not everything, but some of it. And general public tickets for the King's birthday match have also sold out already. Excellent. This will be a 3.20 p.m. local bounce, as is normal for that middle Sunday game that seven shows. So 1.20 a.m. Eastern, early Sunday morning, 10.20 p.m. Pacific, late Saturday in the United States. And it'll be on Fox Sports 2, because that's where this Sunday 7 broadcast can usually be found in America. Collingwood at 9-1, and one, they're in first, they beat Carlton. North, 2-8, and eight, they're in 17th, they nearly had Sydney. They would have had they not made a 76th interchange. I don't know for sure. They still were dealing with the ball on their own end with a minute left. So that's it's far from a guarantee that they would have won it. But they played well. Yes, they regardless of that, they played a good game. And they played a good game when they last met Collingwood in round 17 last year. The G was not half full when they played in round 17. But Nick Larkey rose to the occasion. He kicked 5-1 in North. We're looking pretty damn good for a one-win team. They led by 20 at the half, 26 at three-quarter time, and were outdone five goals to none in the fourth as Collingwood had one of their close wins because that's what they did all of the back half of last year. They won by seven, 88 to 81. That said, it was like hard to be too disappointed in North, even though they kind of blew that game. Similar to how it's hard to be too disappointed in them for the way they played last week. It's hard to be disappointed in any young team or transitioning team like that toward the bottom when they can't hold on to a lead late or when they fall out of games late. Just just be competitive. And they certainly were. David Noble got sacked anyway. Yeah, which so far, I mean, I, is it the right thing to do? I'm not. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure if Noble had the playing group by then. And I, we still don't know if that decision was made before that game or not. I imagine it was. And hey, they won the next week. But Collingwood have won the last three meetings and five of the last six. So signs point to yes for Steel Sidebottom's 300th game and Mason Cox's 100th game being a success. I'm pretty sure the Cox family's already out there. At least mom and dad were at the game against Carlton, right? Yeah. I'm not sure if Mason's going to be able to hold on to a spot for much longer, though, with what Collie would have returning soon, they think he stays in over Billy Frampton the way he's played. He's, he's played well enough that you can't take him out. I would like to think so, and he's split with Darcy Cameron pretty well. Maybe the onus then is on Frampton when he comes back. He's not going to be in this round, but prognosis is looking good for him to be back in soon. The same can be said for Pat Lipinski, who we could now see before the bye. Dan McStay is also nearing a return. Jeremy Howe says he'll be available post-buy, which is spectacular news because we both feared that his career might be over when we saw that injury. 
On the VFL side, they had a bye, but they've had good performances from Trent Bianco, Josh Carmichael, Arlo Draper, and Finn McRae. I think Carmichael's the one who could really force the issue so much they'd have to put him in. But yeah, Carmichael's been the one to get that time in the 22 and a bit as a sub. We saw a bit of action from Bianco as well. I remember Bianco was involved in that passage that led to the after the siren winner against Essendon last year. It's just this is going to be a tough lineup to crack unless someone's getting rested. I feel Finn McRae, he's going to ask for that move to the dogs really soon, isn't he? On North Sun, yeah. their injury list sounds like it's about to get a lot shorter because Flynn Perez, Darcy Tucker, and Cam Zerhar are all probable. I feel like against a team like Collingwood, you got to have a dude like Cam Zerhar who's kind of an antagonist. You got to have the big bag kicker in Larky plus the bowl doing bowl things. Also, Liam Shields is in concussion protocols. He showed late symptoms. I find that particularly interesting given he was the man most responsible for the interchange breach because he came off with cramps. Something more to be said there? Probably not, but it's interesting. I don't know if it's funny or just kind of unusual or... I guess not unusual, but just kind of strange. In a cosmic sort of way, yes. Blake Drury suffered a hip injury last week and had a chance at his first goal, but hit the behind post. As did George Warlaw, who signed a contract extension. Thrilled that he and Sheasel are looking to be in for the long term there. Lockie Young could be available from concussion protocol. In the VFL, Ben Cunnington has played well again. You'd expect that he'd do well against reserves competition at this point in his career. Well, here's my thing. I'm really impressed because if you're 31 and you're told, no, you have to go play down in the VFL, you could just mail it in and be like, fuck this, I'm out. And he hasn't done that. No, he's he's committed. He's a really good leader. That's what I expect of him. And North played it pretty close against the KC Demons. They only lost by 15. Honestly, just him showing, hey, I'm still bought in should be worth something considering what he's been through. He seems like a shoo-in to be on the coaching staff once he retires, so yeah. Yeah, maybe, you know, there could be one where maybe this coming off season you ask him, like, hey, do you want to stick it out here, or would you rather we try to find a way to send you to a team that's got a better chance of winning a flag while you're still playing? And if he wants to stick it out, maybe have a contract that goes into a coaching role like we've seen for guys like Dyson Heppel. Well, that would be, that's definitely a possibility. Looking on the younger side, Charlie Lazaro has been keeping up in the reserves, and... Maybe we'll see another debut coming from another father-son. How about Cooper Harvey, Boomer's son? He's been talked about, like, every week, basically, so it would be cool if he gets in there. We have two lines this round above 50 points. Collingwood are favored by 54 and a half, and they can just dominate this game. I expect them to dominate. I still set this line a little lower just because I feel like it would be really hard for them to get it much higher than, like, 54 or 55. I don't see them as winning by like 100. I see them as winning comfortably, but I don't know if by that much. So I would actually probably bring this line down a bit. It's going to rely on Ben McKay not getting punked again because Buddy had his way with him last week. And Griffin Logue stepping up a bit. I haven't been thrilled with Logue thus far this year. I didn't think Logue was an all-out solution back there, but would be good support. And he hasn't been much of that this year at all. Yeah, I don't... I still don't know if it's really the right role for him, but it's ensured that he has a consistent spot. So hopefully just with more time and comfort there, he can get to he can get to a place where he's able to really reliably be a solid, not quite undersized defender, but not like 
the biggest dude that you're going to throw out there against opposing tall forwards. You know, Ash Johnson probably has a bit of size on him. There's potential for the Sunday night fixture to be a really good one again. The Twilight game will be the Crows hosting the Lions out of the Adelaide Oval. 4.10 p.m. bounce, so 4.40 p.m. for Queensland and Victoria and New South Wales and Tasmania viewers and ACT, of course. 2.40 a.m. Eastern, Sunday the 28th for Americans. 11.40 p.m. Pacific, Saturday the 27th on Fox Soccer+. Plus. Again, I don't think that when the AFL made this schedule, they were thinking that the Crows were going to be in the eight as it stands. And, you know, even though they played maybe their worst game of the year, definitely since round two, I would say, against Richmond. Oh, I would say far worse. Easily their worst of the year. Actually, yeah, they they were never really in this one. No, they played a really bad game. Let's not, let's not sugarcoat it. They were bad in this game. Yeah, the, the dogs didn't end up having a problem with them at all. The Lions, as we mentioned, near the midpoint of the program after the ad break, pulled away in the fourth quarter to win Q-Clash 24. Pretty typical Q-Clash. This game, I think now that the Lions already have that road win over Carlton, this game means a lot more to the Crows, and not just because they're at 5-5 five and five and in 8th while the Lions are in 2nd at 8-2. and two. It's just, this is another opportunity for the Crows to pick up four points that could really serve them well, and is just chance for a big statement. Show that last week was kind of just a blip on the radar. Because and they, also, and they, only, they only had one other game at Geelong where it was really like, oh yeah, they got it handed to them. And we expect them to lift it home anyway. They played so much better there over the past couple of years. And also their forward line should be looking a bit more normal in this one because they're without Taylor Walker and Riley Philthorpe last week. Walker was managed. Philthorpe had a knee injury. They both appear ready to return. I feel like they probably could have found a better time to manage Walker. I feel like having both him and Philthorpe out, you're really hurting on the taller, bigger front. Lockheed Gallant did okay for himself last week, did get a goal in the first half, didn't think anything great of him, but Darcy Fogarty hasn't had a great spell in the past month or so. Would you consider pushing him down for a bit? I feel like this could be one of those games where you swing some changes as kind of a statement after last week, or maybe Matthew Nix just kind of sticks with things as much as he can and says, things are all right, we just had a crap game, everyone has an off week. As usual, Braden Cook, Matt Krause, Jackson Hakeley, and Ned McHenry have done well in the Sandful and are candidates to come in. Maybe? I mean, could Jordan Butts get dropped? He hardly did anything last week. Jake Saliga was also quiet. I feel like his position should be more safe, but I feel like Butts could be, you know, especially with Tom Duday clear to come back in from concussion protocols, that could be a somewhat like for like there. And as for what to do, to fill the hole that Mitch Hinge leaves because he was concussed. Sam Barry was the sub, and that is not like for like there. I like what Barry is willing to do in the guts, get down and tackle all the time. But if you're looking for that defensive support against the Lions, which you're going to need because of how they can assault the forward half, you're going to need to be defensive-minded when you're going into your selection for this one. Or actually, do you just want to say, fuck it, it's going to be a slugfest, let's just score as much as we can? I, I think you can't totally ignore your defense here. On the Lions' side, they should have Daniel Rich back from a calf injury, but Kadeen Coleman is questionable because of a butt niggle. 
Yep. Uh, glute injury. The term niggle was trending on Twitter today because, aha, it was um, Hush Square, which is a site with like PlayStation News, said some niggles need to be addressed in Final Fantasy 16. There have been that many Final Fantasy games. Wow. I think I think that's the real story here. I think another important story is that Jack Payne showed late concussion symptoms and is not flying to South Australia. And I, in particular, have been really impressed with Payne these past few weeks. Had a couple different roles. Was that loose back while Harris Andrews had a bit more of a 1v1 at times, then put the clam on Charlie Curnow. His absence will be a significant one. So Darcy Gardner and Dara Joyce can come in and fill that. I'd be more apt to use Gardner because... I think he's got the higher ceiling. And then the Lions VFL team, as we mentioned earlier, is the only one left that's undefeated. They kind of had a free ride last week because they faced the other Lions, those being Coburg and Coburg are at the bottom of things again. It's not shocking to see that someone got a pretty nice bag, and that was Kai Loman who scored seven. And Jared Lyons and Devin Robertson have been doing well at the reserves level, waiting to see when Robertson gets in. I would love, love for the Eagles to pursue him in the offseason. He's a Westerner. It seems way too obvious. This is another of those situations where if they want to rest some guys, they'll have no shortage of viable options to do that. The Lions have been very fortunate with their injury luck. Yeah, back-to-back years they've been able to do this, which I feel like at some point that's going to give. Knock on whatever wood you have around you, including but not limited to Mason. Like, at some point, that stuff just doesn't last. You know, it might be strange for me to remember last year's meeting so much thinking about it. This round nine game where the Lions pulled away in the second half to win by 36. But the Crows started off well. They led by 15 in the second. I remember Ben Keys being pretty visible. And then the Lions scored the next seven goals, including the first five after the half. Lockie Neal controlled that game. Charlie Cameron kicked four against his former side. I remember this one because I remember watching it really late at night in Oakland at our aunt's house while I was finishing up some final essays because I couldn't be in my room in Berkeley. Oh, yeah, that was that was the time. Yeah, my roommate got COVID right before finals. And, you know, we had to keep up with stuff during it. He's doing great now. He's going to be doing a physics master's at Oxford. Oh, wow. That's legitimately impressive. Yeah, I was super stoked to see him put that on Facebook the other day. That's cool. Lions are favored by just four and a half here, which, considering how good the Crows are at home, I think that's fair. I'd maybe push it out to, like, seven and a half. I don't know. I feel like this should be a really fun game. I hope it is. I expect to see the Crows bounce back at least a little. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much they're able to kind of exercise stuff from last week. If they have another crappy game, though, then it's time to start looking at the ladder and having some serious conversations. Because they'd be looking at five and six. It could be interesting. As we get to the end of this 100th episode, I'm just reflecting again on how much we've done already in the short time that we've been doing this show, the connections we've made. I'm really grateful for all the people we've already got to know, both in the U.S. and in Australia through this podcast and just interacting with other footy fans on social media. I'm particularly grateful for 
the Americans who are in our fantasy team for all the, the great conversations that we've had. Congratulations, by the way, to Ross Allen, who just got married. Hopefully our audience continues growing because this has been really fun. We'd love to get more and more people involved. And really what I'd love to get is more interaction, just like people tweeting at us, you know, whether that's saying that we're dead wrong about something or that we made a really good point. Look, I'm okay with civil conversations about us being wrong. I'm okay with being called an idiot. Just don't take it too far or do and see how we react. Ethan, who's your main character pick for the round? Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to go for a repeat pick here, even though he's not from Northern Territory. Jamari Hagen balling out in the Sir Doug Nichols round would be really cool. So that's going to be my pick. Ooh, I like it. I was thinking about going with someone from that game, but I want to shy away from it now. Actually, can I make an honorable mention pick? Or do you make your pick first, and then I'll make an honorable mention? Is your honorable mention Artie Jones sticking with the dogs? Nope. Oh, okay. I'm actually going to go with Ben Keys because he can get pretty hot-headed at times. He's going to be against his former side. The Crows have a lot to be motivated for, and I think his game will be one to really focus on. My honorable mention pick is going to be Jeremy Cameron. Playing against his former team, coming off a couple of down games. It's time for something big from him again. So, thanks, everybody. I mean, 100 episodes down, a whole lot more to go. Unless we get killed by a giant reptilian bird that's in charge of everything. Can we be certain there isn't? No, so it's pointless to talk about. Looking at longer-term plans, getting more collaborations in, hosting some people on our show, the Americans with whom we've collaborated, as well as some Australians, obviously. Shannon Gill from Code, we couldn't thank him enough for the piece that he did on us around this time last year, actually. It was great to talk with him then, and we've kept up with that since. Really enjoy his podcast work as well. Definitely want to get Mason Cox on here, obviously. Amazing that our 100 milestones coincide. A coincidence, as much as I'd love it to not be, that it actually is a coincidence. A cool one, though. And with that, and with that, we remind you to follow us on Twitter and on YouTube at Americans Footy. I'm on Twitter at Castle Media, that's Castle with a K. I'm on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. Ryan Harambe, who is sleeping right next to me right now, is on Instagram at CatNameGrian. So thanks for 100, and uh, let's see where we go from here. Thank you.